America, and welcome to the Dean's List. I'm Dean Bowen. You are listening to America Out Loud Talk Radio. Last week, we spent some time really just diving into this fight for parental rights that's that's happening really throughout the country. The fight has gone to the states, and it's heavy. Uh, parents are, are taking schools to court, and Well, in the case of Maryland, they're losing. That doesn't mean we've lost. It just means in Maryland, they're losing. But it's a fight that's really happening all over the country. We're winning in North Carolina with that state legislature overriding Governor Cooper's veto. That was a big win. But on Friday last week, we discovered that there are literally over a thousand school districts in this country, in this great beautiful, glorious country of ours that have a policy that they're going to keep gender identity questioning students. They're going to keep those questions from parents. That's their policy. They're going to keep it hidden. We talked about that. And we're going to talk about it a whole lot more. Um, We are. we're, we're, We're going to spend a lot of time in it. I want to just take a break today, though. Because, because we spent a lot of time last week, and uh, today I just want to take a break from it. Not a long break, but a momentary break. Because I think today is an important opportunity for us to talk about history. Why would we talk about history when the educational landscape is in flames? Why would you want to pause to talk about history? Well, In my opinion, the educational landscape is in flames because of history or the lack of proper teaching of history and the interjecting of wrong history, of flat-out lies, history that is lies, the interjection of lies into our history classes has set the table really for what we are in the middle of. It set the table for this experience. It has set the table for us to to where we're now fighting this gender identity narrative, which, by the way, we take back the, the narrative by calling this what it is. It's not gender identity or gender questioning. It's gender confusion. Gender confusion is being force-fed down the throats of our students And it's starting at kindergarten, and it's working its way all the way up. We're going to call it like it is. We're we're going to we're just going to call it like it is gender confusion. But the table was really laid in the history classes because history is where change can be really enforced. The change that people want to make, they're able to make it in the history classes. Because they can include things that they want to include, insert things in history that they want to insert, or exclude things that they don't want to talk about. We're watching this happen unfold before our very eyes. For example, when uh, Mao and the communists are taking over China in 47, 48, 49, one of the first things he did was to burn all the history books. Get rid of them because he did not want the people to eventually 
remember who they were. Another example, uh, if you if you were to go to Wikipedia right now and you were just to type in um, Chinese Communist Revolution, you would see that it is presented in a very favorable light to the communists. Um, it, it says things like China had faced escalating social, economic, and political problems as a result of, quote, Western imperialism. China was facing these problems because of the West. It was the West's fault. And so the communists had to rise up. I mean, they just had to. They had to rise up against the evil Western imperialism. They had to defend their country at all costs. And that's how it's painted. It is presented in a completely different light than the truth. The truth is that Mao slaughtered hundreds of thousands of his own people because that's what communism does. Communism destroys, communism kills. But people who who want to present things in a different light, eh, communism's not that bad. They do it via the history classes. I'm telling you, history, the history class is the most important class. And so we have to have a history lesson today. We have to have a history lesson about America. And the reason that we're having it today and this week is because this week is the anniversary of the Battle of Long Island. There was a time in this country when every single American knew the Battle of Long Island. I mean, there are there are some of you out there right now scratching your heads. What, what are you talking about? The Battle of Long Island. Well, I, you know, I had a Long Island iced tea last night, but I didn't you know there wasn't a battle involved. You know, it's not that way anymore. There was a time where everybody knew the Battle of Long Island, and it is it's such an important battle. And it's not just because of the names and dates. It's not because of August 27, 28, 29, 1776. It's not because it was Washington versus Howard. It, it has nothing to do with the names and the dates. I shouldn't say it has nothing to do. I mean, those are important. You know, the people involved are important. But it really has everything to do, and this is why history is so important, because it has everything to do with the values that we learn. The values that we learn from the actions of people during the historical event. The values that we can take from, the things that we can learn, the points that we can extract, how we can better ourselves as both individuals and a country by studying history. I'm telling you, it works. Just just study history. I mean, just take any subject. It doesn't have to be the revolutionary period. That happens to be my most, I don't know, I, I, I love it. It's, it's my favorite. One of my favorites, I should say. But just take any anything that, that you love historically and just study it. It can be language. It can be an individual. Uh, it can be um, maybe an invention. Something that, that stirs creativity in you. If you study it, 
you'll be amazed at what you can learn from it, at the values that you can draw from it. And this is why the Battle of Long Island is so important, because of the of the values that undergirded our country, they are on full display here in the Battle of Long Island. It was General Washington, it was his first full-on battle. So he came on uh, the summer of 17, seven, the, 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 the fall of 1775, you know, they're, they're sieging Boston, the, the British retreat from Boston. And it's really this big victory without, without much work being done. Washington, Washington took control of Dorchester Heights and he's got these cannons up there and the British look up and they see that, oh boy, Washington's taken the high ground. We should probably leave. So, you know, they send word to Washington, we will leave if you, and we will leave without burning the city down, if you will let us leave. And Washington's like, okay, yeah, I'm going to let you leave. Don't burn the city. I'm going to let you leave. And Washington was really in this position of command. You know, they're, the British are fleeing on Washington's terms. And he knows where they're going. He knows they're going to New York. So he sends his army, which by this point in time is swelling. Uh, enlistments are up because they just kicked the British out of Boston. And everyone's like, yeah, let's go. This thing's going to be over within a week. Seven years later. So Washington makes his way to New York. And while there, there are a lot of blunders, there are a lot of mistakes. But we learn from these mistakes. We, we, we have to be taught history, and I mean all of it. So history doesn't repeat itself. We can learn from the mistakes. And Washington made some. August 27th, the British... They land on Long Island and they just, I mean, they they surround us. They outflank us. They outmaneuver us. Um, they just out everything us. And they've got Washington pinned in. They've got him pinned in with his back to the East River. And he knows that General Howe is going to send ships up the river and literally cut him off. And it's over. If he doesn't get off the island, the war is really over before it's even begun. I mean, ultimately, this is the first full-on battle between Washington and Howe, and it is about to end. I think the, there are varying reports. One report has that after that first, that first fighting on August 27th, the Americans lost over 3,000 men, either wounded, killed, or captured. And the British lost less than 500. I mean, it was just so completely lopsided. But we were outflanked. There was the Jamaica Pass. We didn't have guarded. We have we had five men, young men, on horseback guarding this little path. And the British, you know, opened up a map. General Clinton said, this is the path. We need to send 10,000 of our boys up that path, outflank them on their left, and they did, and uh, because they had some diversions going on on our right, so we were paying attention to our right. We weren't paying attention to our left. 
And before we knew it, we were just outgunned and decimated. Washington knows his only hope is to get off the island. And it's raining. There's a storm, the the, the strong wind coming from the, the northeast. And but that wind is keeping General Howe from moving his ships up the East River. So it's a good thing. But it's also causing Washington some trepidation in how he's going to get his men across the river. So he orders every single boat you can find, every flat bottom boat, every just, let's just get him up here. But he doesn't tell his men that he's planning a retreat. He tells all of his men, be on the alert because during the night, we're going to attack. During the night of August 28th, we are going to attack them. And it was a foolhardy mission, the men felt. And, and a lot of the writings, you can go back and you can look during that time period. And the men are writing in journals and they're panicked. They're scared. They're, they're questioning. But they're going to do it because these are their orders. They're going to go after it. But what Washington didn't tell them is he wanted them to get ready because they were actually retreating. He said, get ready. You know, let's, we're going to move out. We're going to attack, have everything ready to go. The, the, he would take them group at a time. His generals and his commanders would, would take their group of men that they were over and they would say, all right, there are um, reinforcements coming uh, from New York. So we are going to cross the East River while the reinforcements, you know, men that are fresher, because these guys just came out of a, a pretty ferocious battle where they were decimated. And so in little small groups, they're thinking, okay, reinforcements are coming. We're going to go to the, we're going to go to New York while reinforcements come in. And so Washington was getting his men literally off the, off the island, off of Long Island and in, in small companies without them really realizing that there was a full-blown retreat. Some of them in their writings, they started realizing what was happening. Oh, we're actually retreating. Okay, all right. And, and the mood began to shift because they understood if they wanted to live a, to fight another day, they really needed to get off the island. So Washington orders his men, you know, get these boats and... They do, they get the boats ready, and this wind is just ferocious. And and the guy in charge sends a letter to Washington, and he says, there is no retreat. We're not going to get off this island. This wind will not stop, and we, we can't get across the river. At 11 p.m. on the night of August 28th, amazingly, the wind stops just out of nowhere. It's done. And everyone, they look around and they say, uh, okay, let's get on these boats. Let's get across the river. Let's go. And they ferry men across the river all night long. Absolutely all night long, they're ferrying these guys across the river. 
Hour after hour, they negotiated the river's swift, contrary currents. In boats so loaded with troops and supplies, horses and cannon, that the water was often but inches below the gunnels, and all in pitch dark. No lights at all whatsoever. Think about this. Few men ever had so much riding on their skill, or were under such pressure, or performed so superbly. To ferry 9,000 troops across a mile-wide river in the dark, no lights, horses, cannon, supplies, loading these flat-bottom boats down. Wagon wheels, anything that might make noise, were muffled with rags. Talking was forbidden. Private Martin, who was one of the men who was writing in his journal, said we were strictly enjoined not to speak or even cough. All orders, he said, were given from officer to officer and communicated to the men in a whisper. This thing had to be done quietly. It had to be done secretively because the British forces outnumbered these guys three to one. And this escape had to be done to perfection, absolute perfection, without a word. The orderly withdrawal of an army was considered one of the most difficult of all maneuvers, even for the best trained soldiers. And the fact was that Washington's ragtag amateur army was making a night withdrawal in perfect order and silence, which seemed more than could be hoped for. This ragtag army that was undisciplined is making this almost perfect night departure. Oh, history is so much fun. We're going to pick this story up on the other side. You're listening to The Dean's List on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. And unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus and strengthen recall. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order, risk-free. Love it or your money back, guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD loud. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. You've heard Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the Wellness Company discuss the harmful effects of spike protein in your body, and now they found the solution. The miracle enzyme natokinase. Their spike support formula contains natokinase the most compelling and scientifically supported approach to safely clear spike protein out of the body. What's more, spike support is optimized with other all-natural, non-GMO ingredients, like dandelion root, to help prevent spike protein from binding to your cells. Everyone should take daily spike support so you can feel your best. America Out Loud listeners can go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. 
For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Welcome back to The Dean's List. I'm Dean Bowen. You are listening to America Out Loud Talk Radio. We're talking about history today, and we have to. Uh, History is such an important subject. If we don't talk about our own history as a people and as a nation and as a country, if we don't talk about this history and where we came from and who our founders were and what they believed in and what drove them and what were the values that they had, If we don't talk about it, if we don't remind ourselves of it, and then we lose it, then we're lost. If you lose your own history, you are lost. It is important that you know who you are and where you came from. And people that want to fundamentally change this country are really doing it through the history classes. And that's not the only way they're doing it. That's one of the main ways they're doing it. Because if they can reframe history to make this country into something that it never was, hmm, then they stand a chance at succeeding in their evil endeavor. And I do say it's evil. I think it's very evil. So we're taking this opportunity to talk about history, and it's a good time to talk about it because this is the anniversary of the Battle of Long Island. The Battle of Long Island was a huge, massive, colossal defeat for the Americans. But there are things to learn from it. And in learning these things and studying these things and understanding this defeat, we really see what type of men we had fighting this battle for us we really see what type of men we had involved in forming this country. We see what their values were. We see what they believed in. So the Battle of Long Island, as I said, was a colossal defeat. Uh, Washington's troops are decimated. He's got about 9,000 men on the island. General Howe has over 30,000. We've we've lost upwards of maybe 3,000 by some reports. And Washington's trying to figure out a way to get off the island. He's desperate, though, because he knows that General Howe's about to send ships up the East River that would cut off his escape. So he uh, orders every boat. He just says, give me every boat, every, you know, every boat we can find. Let's let's get these boats. Let's get them loaded. Let's get our horses, our cannons, our supplies. We got to get on these boats. We got to get off the island. But there's this northeastern. And this storm that is keeping General Howe's ships from coming up the river is the same storm that's keeping Washington from getting across the river. And uh, General McDougall, I think is his name, sends Washington a letter. And he says, we're not getting across this, this river. This wind, this storm, it's too great. We can't You know, we can't get the boats loaded. We're not going to get the men across. And he's basically, you know, telling Washington it's, you know, we're doomed. But 11 p.m., almost just like like clockwork, at 11 p.m., everything dies down. It's done. The wind is just 
it's over. And these guys look around and they say, okay, all right, here's our window. Let's get on the boats and let's go. So they're making this quiet as possible escape from the island. Because if the British even realizes what's happening, it's over. If, if, if they hear and, and they realize these guys are getting off the island, we're going to lose our opportunity, then, um, they're, then the Americans are going to be annihilated. So a fellow by the name of General Mifflin, Thomas Mifflin, he is one of uh, Washington's generals. He is over the Pennsylvania Brigade. It was actually his idea. He presented it to Washington. You know, hey, we should, you know, we could retreat at, at their council. You know, they're talking through their plans. But when Mifflin says we should retreat, he volunteers to keep his boys back as the rear guard. We'll stay back. We will we'll go to the front line. We'll light the fires so the you know the British think that we're you know we're still here. We'll we'll move around. We'll you know, they're going to be watching us, you know, we will make it seem like the army is still here in full force, and we will be the rear guard. Washington says, okay, that's a plan. 11 p.m., amazingly, suddenly the wind stops. They're able to load the ships up, and they start, you know, secretly, quietly, as humanly possible, not a whisper, not a word. They're just, you know, they're just getting men all night long back and forth, back and forth, all night long, shuffling men to the other side of the river. So uh, a courier comes to the camp where Mifflin is. And he says, um, it, I, this was probably about, I don't know, three in the morning. And he says, hey, Washington's ready for you. You guys, you know, it's time to go. And Mifflin's like, what, already? There is no way. There is no way he's ready for us. And um, the messenger says, no, he, he's ready. He, he said, come on. Well, the messenger misunderstood the message. And he's giving Mifflin a false command. So Mifflin, you know, packs up. They leave the, the front, literally, of the battle. They leave the rear guard. By leaving the front line, Mifflin has essentially left their rear guard exposed. So they get to the uh, to the place where Washington is. He's at the, the ferry landing, and he's kind of overseeing everything. He sees Mifflin and his boys coming up, and he rides out to meet them and says, What in the world are you doing here? You're going to ruin us. Why are you here? And Mifflin said, well, I got word that you wanted me to get here. And Washington said, no, that no, that word should not have gotten to you. Turn yourselves around and you get back where you were. Go back to your posts. And the men at this point are just dejected because they're thinking, okay, this is it. We're still going to escape under the cover of night. We're not going to be seen. And now they realize that Washington is not ready for them, and they have to go back. And there's just this moment of complete and utter dejection. That uh, They turn around, they make it back, they get back to their campfires, and the British are unsuspecting. They don't, they don't miss a beat. 
They just get right back in place. They keep the fires going. They keep moving around. Washington is continuing, can, can continually trying to hurry his men, trying to load load up the supplies. Well, dawn is breaking, and they realize that they're not going to get everybody off the island, because once it's daylight and the British scouts see what's happening, then everybody that's left that's not going to make it off the island, it's over. They're going to be captured. They're going to be slaughtered, essentially. If Washington is captured, this thing is done. It's over. And Washington's still on the island. He doesn't leave. He is going to be there till the very last man gets off the island. And dawn is breaking. But what should happen along with the breaking of dawn, dawn but comes the heaviest fog you have ever seen? Matter of fact, and as the men in their writings, um, Talmadge, I think Major Talmadge, says something to the to the effect of uh, the, the the providence that was involved with this fog that we could not see six feet in front of us, literally, or beyond six feet. We could see about six feet, and then it was just thickness. And and in several of the writings. That day and even beyond, the men attributed this fog that just came out of nowhere on the Brooklyn side. It just hovered over the side of the river and, and, and just so happened to be in the spot where Washington was making his escape so that the, the British could not see them. The British couldn't see a thing. There is no fog on the other side of the river where they're landing. That's clear. It's it's crystal clear. It's a glorious day. But on the side where they are leaving, where they are forming their escape, this fog so heavy that you couldn't see a thing. So finally, word gets back to Mifflin and his boys. Hey, let's go. It's time to go. It's time to go. About 7 a.m. They're loading the very last of the fairies. And Washington is there at the very end. As they cross the river and they get to the other side, amazingly enough, you can't make this stuff up. Amazingly enough, the fog clears. And lo and behold, who can they see across the river but the British forces just staring in disbelief as 9,000 men in one night escape Long Island across the East River and flee the decimating clutches of General Howe and the British regulars. And one night, they got 9,000 ragtag amateurs across the East River under the cover of darkness. And then when daylight hit, amazingly enough, this thick fog just settles over them. So they're able to continue this escape unseen, undetected, unheard, unnoticed, to escape the clutches of the British. Do you know that the Battle of Long Island was taught in our history books, probably right up until the 1930s. And amazingly enough, it disappeared. 
Let me ask you, why does the Battle of Long Island disappear? Why? What, what, what's the purpose of, of all of a sudden not teaching our children the believed importance everybody at that time in the writings, it is very clear. Everybody believed that the hand of God was on that army. They believed in what they referred to as providence. And in their definitions, when they talked about providence, they weren't referring to good luck. There is no inclination that they were talking about good luck at all whatsoever. They were talking about the hand of God. Here's what uh, Benjamin Talmadge had to say about it. As the dawn of the next day approached, those, those of us who remained in the trenches became very anxious for our own safety. And when the dawn appeared, there were several regiments still on duty. At this time, a very dense fog began to rise, and it seemed to settle in a peculiar manner over both encampments. He's referring to the encampment of the British and the Americans. And he says it, it seemed to settle in a very peculiar manner. I recollect this peculiar providential occurrence perfectly well. And so very dense was the atmosphere that I could scarcely discern a man at six yards distance. Providential occurrence is what Talmadge called it. That this dense fog would settle over the American camp and over the British camp simultaneously, but not settle on the other side of the river where the Americans were, were disembarking, where they were you know, fleeing, where they were making their escape. But amazingly enough, this stopped being taught. And it had to stop because otherwise we would continue to, to teach students that Americans believed in a God that we believed in a creator who looked out for us, that we believed in providence, that we believed in the hand of God over the formation of this country. That teaching had to stop. Otherwise, uh, they wouldn't be able to interject their, their Marxism. And this is why an anti-God movement is so profound right now, and not in a good way. It's so prevalent. Because we can't teach the kids about God. We can't teach them that, that God loves us. We can't teach them that he cares for us. We can't teach them that supernaturally, at 11 p.m., the storm would stop. But not only that that the storm would even begin in the first place to keep General Howe's ships from making their way up the East River. The storm had to, if this storm doesn't even come, General Howe's boats are up the East River and we're pinned down and, and, and it's over. We are not America as we know it to be. We are part of England. We're a British colony. If that storm doesn't come, those boats are up the river and it's over. But at, at approximately 11 p.m., that storm just stops. It's done. And it gives our men the opportunity to get on the boat and get across the river. But still, 
from 11, you know, to, to five at dawn, you know, I don't know, whenever dawn comes, it, there's not enough time to get 9,000 men across the river. So what do we need? Oh, let's order that heavy, thick fog. Yeah, let's let's put that order in. And this heavy, thick fog, scarcely see, Talmadge said, somebody six yards in front of you. This heavy, thick fog falls on both camps. It falls on the Americans. It falls on the British. Nobody can see a thing. Except the Americans when they're getting off the boat on the other side of the river. That's where there is no fog, amazingly enough. And just when our last boat gets off the riverbank, the fog lifts and the British are on the other side. And amazingly enough, they see what just happened. And they're like, what in the world? How did Washington get 9,000 men off of Long Island in one night without us realizing? And we can't teach that story anymore because it's just too full and rich of providential activity. It's, it's just too full of the hand of God. There can be no other explanation. There can be no other explanation. And there has not been any other explanation for decades. The only explanation for Washington and, and the 9,000 Americans getting off of Long Island is the hand of God. So guess what we can't teach in our schools anymore? We can't teach the Battle of Long Island because it's too providential. It's too, um, no, no, we can't talk about God in that way. We need, we need history back. We need to take history back in our country. If you're a history teacher and you're teaching in a public school, I implore you, teach this story and teach it using the original documents, the journals, the letters. Teach it so they hear in the words of Benjamin Talmadge that he believed it was the providential hand of God and nothing else. Okay, we're going to pause for a break. You're listening to The Dean's List on America Out Loud Talk Radio. While the cancel culture destroys our history, bringing crime and terror to city streets, AmericaOutloud.news will enhance its own message of love and honor for the American traditions and constitutional values that have always been the backbone of what America means, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid of going to the hospital. My doctor tells me nutrition doesn't work. Trust is earned. We are the Energetic Health Institute, and we want to earn your trust. Natural medicine, holistic nutrition, detoxification, fasting, cellular healing, and so much more. Remember, the best way to be free is to be healthy. So stop being a patient and start being a student at energetichealthinstitute.org. 
World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Welcome back to the Dean's List. I'm Dean Bowen. We are in history class today. So welcome to American History 101. We thought it appropriate to talk about history because we are in the anniversary of the Battle of Long Island. This this last week in August is the Battle of Long Island, which truly was our first crushing defeat in the Revolutionary War. What makes it so historic, though, is not only was it our first crushing defeat, but the providential hand of God that we can see in that defeat, even in in our retreat and Washington's retreat, we see the hand of God uh, just profound. And we see that in our country, we don't tell this story anymore, and we don't tell it because the Marxists that wish to overtake, overhaul, overrun this country cannot have this this story of our history taught to our kids. Can't have it. Our kids can't see that there is a God who loves us and who cares about us. And I ended the last segment really imploring teachers Teachers, you you that teach American history, you're in public schools and you teach American history. Close your textbooks, whatever textbook is being given to you, and go to original documents. It's going to take a little bit of research on your part, but it's worth it. It is worth it. there There are journals, there are letters, there are reports, there are things you can read that are original first-hand accounts of what went down, not only the Battle of Long Island, but throughout our history. I implore you, I beg you, close that textbook that just says, if there's any reference at all to Long Island, it's, on this day, the Americans and, and General Washington were dealt a crushing blow of defeat and in Washington's first ever military campaign, it was full of blunders. Washington was was a babbling, blundering man of a general who quite often was outmatched and outgunned and who really didn't know what he was doing. But, but for pure luck, and that's how it's described. I mean, it's true. We were a ragtag army who were undisciplined. <laughs> we were not professionals. The British regulars were professionals. They were, they knew what they were doing. It's true. Washington made some mistakes, especially on Long Island. But the man uh, made up for his mistakes in many ways, in many facets. One of those facets ultimately was his dependence on God. But we have, again, in education, 
we have teachers and college professors saying Washington was a deist. Our founding fathers were deists. You know, I I told you the story of my cousin Kelly when she was uh, subbing, long-term subbing in a, in a government class with juniors and seniors, I think juniors, um, definitely seniors. This is an upper-level government class at a Christian school. And she's teaching them this rich heritage of our founding and of, of the belief of, of our founding fathers. And the school principal, you know, one day came up to her and said, you do know that the founding fathers were deists, right? I mean, you got that right. And it's just, it's profound to me that that people in education just repeat this, what they hear. It, we're almost, it's almost like we're in this echo chamber and we hear the founding fathers were deists. And so we just repeat it. Instead, we have all their writings. We have the stories. If we would just go back and, and open up the books, the, the original documents, we would see they were not deists. These were Christian men. You know, but you've got some college professor over here writing a book that the founding fathers were deists. He doesn't source any of the original documents. He sources another professor from another college who says the founding fathers are deists. It's circular. And that professor has cited another professor from somewhere else that says the founding fathers are deists. And then at some point, one of the professors pulls up a citation from Ben Franklin when he was a young man, where he said, yes, he was he was a deist or pursuing, you know, deism, or he made some reference to being a deist when he was a young man. When he was an older man at uh, the Constitutional Convention, and here in 1776, he's not a deist. Franklin, who might not have been the most religious of men, understood that there was a God who loved him and loved this country and was working on behalf for this country. That is clear. But we have professors that are lying, again, flat out lying, and telling our, our, our students that the founders were deists. And then our students are buying it, but not only, unfortunately, our students, but our, our Christian school leaders yeah, they're deists. Instead of just instead of just opening up a book and and reading. Speaking of opening up a book and reading, Washington Irving wrote a five-volume historical account of the life of George Washington. Yep, Washington Irving, the the writer of Rip Van Winkle and Sleepy Hollow, was a historian. Listen to what he has written about uh, the Battle of Long Island. A family, so this is, this is uh, you know, the fog has come down and, you know, the, the troops are leaving. A family of British sympathizers lived near the point where the American troops were being evacuated. The lady of the house, when she learned what the Americans were doing, sent a servant to alert the British. Bum, 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 traitor. This Tory loyalist 
see, you know, she 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 is watching what's unfolding. You know, she lives here, and she sends her servant to the British. Come on, go go tell him, go tell him Washington's escaping. Washington cannot get away. You must get word to them. He successfully slipped past the American guards, but upon reaching the British lines was stopped by German-speaking mercenaries known as Hessians, whom the British had hired to fight for them. The servant was unable to communicate with the foreign guards who detained him until the next morning. When a British officer finally arrived to question him, it was too late. This servant gets there at night. I mean, the lady, you know, she sees what's happening at 11 o'clock at night. She sees what's going on. She sees the Americans are escaping. So not only do we have this, this hand of providence where the northeast wind all of a sudden stops at 11 o'clock, I mean, the fact that the wind was even there keeping General Howe's ships from coming up the East River is enough, but the fact that it stops at 11, which gives Washington clearance to get across the river, you know, that is enough, the hand of God. But this woman sends her servant to warn the British. He sneaks past the American line, gets to the British line, but lo and behold, who should meet him but Germans? And they can't understand him, and he can't understand them. The servant was unable to communicate with the foreign guards who detained him until the next morning. When a British officer finally arrived to question him, it was too late. Upon learning from the servant about the American evacuation, British troops were immediately dispatched, only to find the Continental Camp completely empty. The British then rushed toward the shore arriving just as the fog lifted, allowing them to see the last boats crossing the river. More than 8,000 American soldiers and their supplies had miraculously escaped. Providentially, Washington and the Americans had been preserved and kept alive to continue the fight for freedom. So as if the hand of God in the form of weather wasn't enough. <laughs> but he intervenes and, uh, you know, holds back this servant literally all night long. The servant makes it to British lines and, and is trying to tell the Hessians that the Americans are leaving. You know, Hessians, you know, they don't, they don't know what's going on. And it, by the time a British officer who speaks English shows up, it's too late. And then everyone is alerted. They make their way to the camp. And lo and behold, they get there just in time to see the last boat hit the shore. The fog is lifted. Uh, but we can't teach this. This isn't taught. Because, well, you know, we've got people in charge that can't have us believing that there's a God who loves us, who cares about us, who cares about our lives. You can't have that lesson taught. That lesson cannot be taught, but it, it should be taught. And it should be taught 
in this American history class or story or lesson, whatever you want to call it, that there is a loving God who cares about us. But teachers, we we have to take it back. We we uh, history. We have to take history class back. That let's start the campaign. Take history class back. Let's get it going. And and let's stop just repeating the narrative. Let's stop repeating what we hear. If we hear something coming out of of higher education, if it's not Hillsdale College or or Liberty or Regent or some of these other good good higher education schools. If it's not these schools, if it's coming from other places, we should just assume that it's a lie. Oh, man, that's such a big blanket statement. Dean, why would you say that? Well, because mostly it's true. Uh, I mean, okay, maybe we don't assume it's a lie, you know, but what, what did Reagan say about trust but verify? We just can't take their word for it anymore. We have to verify what they say. And that's going to require some thinking on our part and some reading. But guess what? We have the ability. We can think and we can read. So let's do it. Let's take back history class. Uh, It's just that simple. It is just that simple. Did you know that, that George Washington, before he becomes General Washington, that he fought for the British in the French-Indian War. General Braddock, you know, George Washington was one of his officers, one of his right-hand men. And this, this story, this story of American history was also in our American history textbooks up until the 1930s, when it mysteriously vanished During the French and Indian War, George Washington fought alongside British General Edward Braddock. But on July 9th, 1755, the fateful day, the British were on their way to Fort Duquesne when the French surprised them in an ambush attack. Yeah, this famous battle, it used to be famous. Everybody used to know about it until the 1930s. And it disappeared from our textbooks. It almost it becomes part of legend or part of myth. And that's what they refer to our founding in the 1619 Project mythology. The British were not accustomed to fighting, you know, and unless they were in an open field, they are walking through this trail in the woods and they're ambushed by the French and the Indians. And the British don't really know what to do. Uh, In the 1750s, they're just not really capable of fighting this way, and they're just annihilated. Uh, General Braddock is is shot, mortally wounded. Uh, all of his officers are shot and or killed, all of them, except for one, George Washington. He is the lone officer that is on horseback and is, is riding around back and forth, issuing the commands that, that Braddock is giving him, even though Braddock is, has been wounded. Um, Washington is essentially the one in charge because everybody else is just, they're just getting picked off. Uh, on July 18th, Washington writes this letter to his brother, 
was Brother John. And this is, teachers, this is what I'm talking about. We have this treasure trove of history at our fingertips. And it's in the form of original documents. We have Washington's letters. We have their writings. We have a trove of history. Let's close those textbooks that, that were being issued, that were being given. Let's shut them and let's open up true history. In this letter, July 18th, 1755, here's what Washington says to his brother. But by the all-powerful dispensations of providence, I have been protected beyond all human probability or expectation. For I had four bullets through my coat and two horses shot under me, yet escaped unhurt, although death was leveling my companions on every side of me. Uh, Washington is literally watching people just go down left and right. But in, in his letter to his brother, he acknowledges, I had four bullet holes in my coat and I had two horses shot up from under me. Every time a horse would get shot and fall to the ground, I'd get off it and I'd get on another one. Because his men had, you know, they needed to be able to see him. He needed to be able to, to holler out orders and holler out commands. All the other officers are shot. They're gone. It's Washington. Four bullet holes in his jacket. Two horses shot. And in Washington's own words to his brother, he says, but by the all-powerful dispensation of providence, I have been protected beyond all human possibility. And when he says all dispensation of providence, he's not referring to good luck. You know, John, I'm just, I am one lucky son of a gun. I am just, I'm so lucky. Four bullet holes, just, you know, and these bullets just whizzing by me and two horses shot, but I am just the king of luck. No, he is referring to the hand of God. And this is 1755. But this story isn't in our textbooks anymore. And if I had more time, I would read the back end of this. Ah, but America, we are fresh out of time. History class is over. Thank you for joining me today. I think maybe tomorrow we should have another history lesson uh, before we dive back into the tumult that is American education. But I'm glad you're joining me today. This is the Dean's List on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Let's unite to renovate the age.